Hey everyone, it's Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about encountering Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter weekend. We have a ton going on, from a Good Friday service to an Easter egg hunt to our Easter service and Easter brunch, and I think all of them are going to be awesome. And if you're in our area, I would love to have you be a part of them. You can get all the information you need at wilsonville.church slash Easter. That's wilsonville.church slash Easter. That page doesn't only have information about our Easter weekend. It also has a button to register for our Easter service. If you do that, there's some special benefits like we'll meet you in the parking lot, introduce you to some people, and help you get your kids checked in if you have kids. But for Easter, the first 25 people to register will get an Easter basket at the Easter service. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. We'd love to be able to bless you. And again, love to be able to see you at our Easter weekend events. Hey, one more time, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. My, my great-grandfather was a... Uh, church planter. I don't know if you, uh, if I've ever said that here before. In this area, um, he planted a church that is now called Sunrise Church in uh, in Forest Grove, and he planted a church that's that's very large now called Village Baptist Church that's up in the Beaverton uh, Hillsboro area. And uh, one of the things I know from his ministry is that oftentimes you can't see the successes in your church right away. Uh, there is a biography about a man that my great-grandfather pastored, and he pastored this man up on a hill somewhere in the Portland metro area that doesn't have hardly any people living on it. It's escaping my mind right now. They have a strawberry festival uh, that I've been to, and, and I mean, there's like no people up on this hill, right? And And... You can look at the church that still exists in Forest Grove, and you can look at the church called Village Baptist that's a mega church now, and say, wow, those are the successes. But, uh, but this one kid that he ministered to up on this hill in a church that's now closed down, the building, I don't know if it still stands, but it barely stands if it stands. He, he became a Christian as my grandpa ministered to him and pastored him, and he ended up being in large part responsible for the emergency response teams uh, starting in the California area. This is a while ago, Take uh, uh, keep in mind. And so for the EMTs that are in California, responsible in large part for that. He started hospitals in other nations. He had an incredible impact on the world. And it was all because my great-grandpa, would leave the church that he was pastoring in Forest Grove and drive up on this hill in the middle of nowhere because he thought these people, these people need a pastor. I think it's not dissimilar to the only sermon illustration that I know from my great-grandpa's preaching. Uh, we have some of those sermon notes written down in a little book, which is pretty cool, but the one that's been passed down to me orally is from when he was a Boy Scout as a kid. And when he was a Boy Scout, uh, there was a Boy Scout leader that, that said, hey, we're going to take this hike. And, and, and it started with, let's say, 15 kids. I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say there's 15 kids. And they started at the bottom of this mountain, and, and they started to hike up. And uh, one by one, the, 
the kids, they got tired. They decided it was too much work. They just didn't want to go on anymore. And back then, the Boy Scout leader could probably just leave them in the dust. Now you'd never get away with that, right? Like, well, too tired, kid. Toughen up or die on the mountain. Uh, but you can't do that anymore. But, but one by one, they just started... They stopped. They didn't start. They stopped. And, and at the end of this, my great-grandpa was the only kid left. And the way that this sermon illustration has been passed down is that they get to the top of this mountain, and they look out, and it's the most incredible view that he ever saw in his entire life. The way he used that sermon illustration was to say that sometimes it's really hard. The things that are valuable can be difficult. But we should keep moving towards those things because they're worth it. And I see that in his, his traveling up to Dixie Mountain. Did I get that right? There it is. She's my cousin. Um, uh, and when he would go up to Dixie Mountain, man, it probably just didn't feel worth it. Like, what am I doing up here, you know? I mean, this is never, I don't even know if he knew the term mega church, but like this is never going to be big. This is never going to be the most successful thing. I mean, but yet the impact was huge. I think we all have things that we can look back on in our lives and say, like, that was really hard, but in the end, it was really worth it. My senior year of uh, high school, I almost quit uh, my basketball team. I was just kind of fed up with, with my coach, and, uh, and I was talked out of it, and man, it was hard to stay and keep doing it, and frankly, as I look back on my life, that season, that team, it's one of the most fun things I've ever been a part of, uh, just to accomplish what we accomplished and to play as well as we did and, you know, to be in the state tournament. It was incredible, but it was really hard to stay in it. And I just look back and I think, man, I, I wouldn't share that bond or those friendships with those people had I not stuck it out. Here's my proposition for this morning. Don't let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. We're finishing today a series of sermons that are about people who encountered Jesus while he walked on earth. And I think that a lot of us, whether we've thought about it or not, we want to encounter Jesus. We want some, maybe that's why you're here this morning. Like, you want something more. You sense that there's something greater. Like, you, you believe in Jesus maybe, or you don't, but you're really hopeful that it's a, a real thing. Like, that there's a God up there, and, and he loves us. And, and yet, you're like, I just... I just want to feel him. I want to I, I want to know that he's with me. I want to see a miracle. I want him to help me. I want him to to show up and do something in my midst. I need him to do something for me and, and he's not doing it. And I think like going up Dixie Mountain or hiking up a mountain as a Boy Scout or playing a sport, it's really, really easy to quit before you find out whether or not Jesus wants to really encounter you. The reality is that there are a million things that are pulling you away from a real and, and miraculous encounter with Jesus. I mean, think about it, like, uh, like your family, right? Like some people, if you just press in and say, Jesus, if you're just praying even, just the simplest act of prayer, like, uh, Jesus, I want to, to hear from you. I want to see you move. I want to know you better. Your family's going to be like, some, some of your family is like, why are you wasting time in prayer? I mean, you can think about things like, like 
church going, right? And, and we believe that people encounter Jesus when we show up here on Sundays. And I'm amazed at how I preach a sermon and then people will tell me how amazing it was. And I'm like, thank you. And then they'll say, like, man, when you said, and then they'll say something and I'll be like, there's no chance I ever said that. I would never talk like that. I know in those moments that they encountered Jesus. They didn't encounter me. But think about church in our culture. I always tell pastors that come from the South, which in our denomination is a lot of pastors. They come up to plant churches from the South, and, and they come here, and, and they, they just they have totally different expectations. Like they expect people just to roll in as long as they do it cool enough or whatever. As long as they have the right outfit on and the lights are good and the music sounds fine, then people are just going to show up. And I tell them all the time, it's so countercultural to go to church here. I'm so happy you're here this morning, but you did something that is countercultural. It's not football season, so a little bit easier. But, but like when you go to church, you feel a need to explain to your coworkers why you went to church, whereas in the South, you might feel a need to explain why you didn't go to church if you didn't show up on a Sunday morning, right? We don't have that here, and so our culture pulls us away from the things of God and, and, and our own sins, right? Because we'll look and we'll say, man, I've done something wrong, and I don't know if God is going to want to be there for me. There's so many other, you know, better people in the world that, that God could help and bless and encounter and I don't know if I can ever be one of those people and I know for many it's like it's even the lifestyle right like like if I have a true encounter with Jesus then that might change how I have to live my life the way I spend my money what I do with my Friday nights you know the job I have whatever and it's like I want an encounter with Jesus but there's this obstacle and so so I'll miss I'll just miss the encounter with Jesus I think we, that most people, if you're here this morning, I just think almost every one of us, we would love to encounter Jesus in a miraculous way that's just abnormal, that's beyond what we've experienced before. But I would also say that most people are too quick to let things stop them from having that encounter. And this morning, we're going to look at a story, the final story in this series, and the story says, don't let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. This story follows shortly after Jesus has talked about his death for people's sins. As a church and as Christians, what we believe about Jesus is that he ultimately came to earth to live sinlessly, perfectly, and then at the end of that life to die for your sins because you're not perfect. You already know that. And then he came back to life. We'll celebrate that in a couple of weeks. We'll celebrate his death on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter, and that's what we fundamentally believe. But the people who hung out with Jesus, they didn't get all that. Even the guys that loved him, followed him, gave their lives to him, they, they didn't really get that. And so Jesus, on his kind of march to Jerusalem where he will die, he starts to be more open about how he is going, he's going to Jerusalem to die. And on the way, within about 15 miles uh, of, of getting there, this is where this story comes about. And the verse right before it is so important. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This story that we're going to look at is about Jesus being a servant savior who wants to encounter you. The question in this story, though, is with the people that are going to encounter Jesus is will they let things stop them from having the encounter that Jesus wants to have 
with them. And here's how the story begins. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. This crowd is large because Jesus was famous in some regards, right? Like there was a lot of people who wanted to see Jesus, who wanted to be fed by Jesus because he had miraculously fed people, who wanted to be healed by Jesus. There were probably a lot more people who just wanted to see those things happen because it would be cool, right? Like Jesus has gone viral and, and people are like, I'm following this guy, but also this, this group of people, they're headed towards Jerusalem for a holiday called Passover. And, and Thousands and thousands of people, Jewish people, would have come for pilgrimage to Jerusalem on Passover. And this crowd is probably like, look, if I'm going anyway, I might as well follow that Jesus guy to see if anything crazy happens. A lot of the people in this crowd are the same people who will be chanting uh, on the day we remember as Palm Sunday now, they'll be chanting Hosanna, Hosanna as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. This is part of that crowd. And the crowd's important because of the two guys that we'll encounter next. The comparison, the contrast between them and the crowd is really important. In verse 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Mark and Luke also write this story. There's three Gospels that are called the Synoptic Gospels in the New Testament. If you've been here, I've explained this every week. But it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke, these three books within the book that we call the Bible. And they're all written pretty similarly. They all have different points, different nuances, but they kind of follow a little bit of the same structure and contain primarily the same stories. They're not always in the same order. They don't always have the same details. And Mark and Luke tell us that these men, they were begging blind people in this time period would have had no other way of of coming by income they would not have had social services there would have been no other option for them and so these men are on the side of the road they know a crowd is coming and they are begging that that people for people to give them money so that they can survive mark tells us that one of these guys is bartimaeus I like knowing these people's names because it makes them so much more real to me. I don't know if that matters to you, but, but Bartimaeus is one of these guys, and he's sitting there by the side of the road, blind and, and begging. And these men hear that Jesus is coming. They know that an encounter with Jesus is possible. And they've heard that he can heal. They've heard good things about this person named Jesus. He might be able to heal you. He's already healed blind people before. And they've heard these stories, I'm sure, and they're like, we have a chance. We have an in- a chance to have a miraculous encounter with Jesus. But consider, consider the hurdles here. They're blind. They don't have a clue how far away they are from Jesus. They're in the midst of a giant crowd of people, right? So it's not like 12 guys that are hanging out with Jesus are walking by and you're like, hey, that's probably him, right? I mean, they're, they're hearing a large crowd coming. They hear from somebody that Jesus is in the midst of it, but they don't know who he is. They don't know what he looks like. They probably don't know what he sounds like. They don't know how they're possibly going to have the encounter with him. This is a major, major obstacle. I'll just be honest. I think this is a big enough obstacle that a lot of us who desperately want to encounter Jesus would just give up right there. 
Like, well, that would have been nice. I mean, we would say something like this maybe. We'd throw up a little prayer like, God, if you want me to encounter Jesus, then send him my way and have him talk to me. We'll just kind of leave it out there, rely on it. I've prayed things like that. Like, God, if you want me to do this thing that I think I know is absolutely right, then, then just make it so easy on me. But God doesn't do that. And these men are so desperate to encounter Jesus that despite the obstacle of the large crowd, despite the obstacle of being blind and not being able to find Jesus in the midst of this crowd, despite the obstacle that maybe their cries would not be able to be heard above all of the other people there who are talking and probably excited about their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they yell, I can hear it at the top of their lungs, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. My sermon last week, I talked quite a bit about mercy, and I'm not going to talk about it as much today, but I want to just point out again that, that one of the things that these people who are encountering Jesus have in common is that they are all asking for mercy. The blind men in chapter 9, a Canaanite woman in chapter 15 that we didn't cover in this series, and, and last week we talked about the dad whose son was filled with demons and, and who had seizures that threw him into a fire. They all say, Jesus, we need your we need your mercy. Mercy is a word that is so so beautiful that maybe we never even consider, but it's this word that, that, that means the feeling of care, compassion because of, of somebody's hurt, because of somebody's pain, because of somebody's struggle, but then also the desire to do something about it. And so these men are not calling just for some Christian word that has no meaning. Like, we say mercy, we sing mercy, we talk about mercy, and we mean nothing by it at all, right? They are looking for Jesus in the midst of this crowd to feel something for them, to care about them, and then to use his power through his desire to do something for them. And they use this messianic term, son of David. The Messiah was this promised one that the Jews had looked forward to for hundreds, even thousands of years. A, a man who would come and he would set things right for their nation and he would eventually rule and reign. His kingdom would last forever and the Jewish people would be the... the the highest in the world, once again, Israel would be the greatest nation. There would be nobody above them. Everything would be right and good. And we know that, that Jesus didn't come in the way that most Jewish people, even his best friends, thought he would come. But he came, and he came to set things right. And these men, they probably don't even know exactly what they mean by calling him son of, son of David. But they know that Jesus has the ability to set things right for them. It would be easy to say, like, oh, we know it's going to happen. But this next verse is, it's heartbreaking. But if we contextualize it, it feels so real. Verse 31 says, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I wonder why the people felt the need to shut them up. I think it's because they're selfish. I think it's because people wanted to see and interact with Jesus themselves. I think it's because they, they were impressed by Jesus' awesomeness, and they liked that, but they weren't prepared for the level of compassion that he had. In Matthew 19, 13, semi-famous verse, I mean, the disciples rebuke people because they're trying to bring their children to Jesus, and they're like, hey, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't have time 
for this, you know, like he's got he's got bigger things. He has speaking engagements and things like that, you know. I mean, he has th- he's healing people. He, he doesn't have time to pray for your children, and Jesus does not like that at all. Like that's not who I am. And in this story, we we see these the same heart, this heart of people who say either one of two things: Jesus is for me and not for you. Jesus doesn't really care about you because you're not significant enough for him. I, I'm, I just finished uh, this week uh, this thing that, that's called a pastor cluster. Stupid name, but it's been a great thing for me. And in this pastor cluster, like, you've got to be thinking, that's the last thing I would ever want to go to, right? Um, thankfully, I am one, so I fit in. But, uh, but, like, we spent the last seven, eight months talking about what it means to to be hospitable, biblically, primarily, what it means to love people who come in the door, specifically people that we don't know very well. And man, our church has been pretty immune to some of the stuff that that was brought up through the books we read and things like that, but there's so many stories that I hear in in churches around our country still to this day uh, of insiders, people who are part of church, who have been a part of church for a long time, looking at outsiders and saying, eh, you don't really fit here. Stories, like I heard this twice during this time I've been in this cluster, like stories of, of people showing up at church with a hat on and then like leaders in the church coming up and saying, I'm, I was going to do it in a southern accent, but I won't, forgive me. Uh, like, like, son, we don't wear, we don't wear hats here. It's like, oh, wow, what are you demonstrating to those people? It, it's pretty much like, it's pretty much like this, right? It's like the crowd rebuking the people and telling them to be quiet. It's like the crowd coming up and saying, hey, we're with Jesus, you're not. So if you're not doing it our way. I mean, I've heard stories of churches, my goodness, and none of the churches in Wilsonville, the, at least the, the guys that I know, none of them are like this. So it's not churches here, but I've heard stories of people saving seats and then getting mad at people if people sat in their seats. There's so, there is, there is, This is pervasive. It's been pervasive since Jesus walked the earth. And if you've ever encountered Christians like that, I'm sorry, first of all, that they represented us in the wrong way because Jesus was nothing like that. But the crowds can be sometimes. And I'll tell you, in your quest to encounter Jesus, it is going to be really easy for other people to get in your way. To tell you, like, hey, you sin too much. God would never care about you. To say, like, you don't fit in here. Like, you're not that kind of person. One of the things that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bothered by, maybe I'm revealing too much, but in our community that's pretty affluent, I, I think about it. I just was talking about this the other day. Like, like what would it be like to walk in if you, if you didn't have enough money or a home to take a shower in, right? And then the people who come to this church that you show up they're all nicely dressed or whatever and I mean what would that be like to be hard and, and that's another way unintentionally that the crowd can stand in the way I don't look like those people I don't sound like those people I don't talk like those people and and it can all stop us from continuing to climb the mountain towards an encounter with Jesus and I love that these men are so desperate for an encounter with Jesus that they just absolutely ignore the crowd and they yell all the louder as it says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
You can't let people who claim to follow Jesus stand in the way of you following Jesus, encountering Jesus. I read this book a while back called They Like Jesus But Not the Church. Really well-written book, and, and um, so interesting about the book is, is how many people like what they know about Jesus, but they don't follow him. They don't encounter him. They don't care to encounter him because of the people who call themselves Christians. And look, I could use this moment to say, hey, Christians, let's be better. And, and I think at this church we're doing a pretty good job, frankly. And so I'd be preaching to the choir a little bit. But I think it's more important to use this moment to say, hey, non-Christian, don't let these people stand in the way of you encountering something glorious, something that could change your life forever. They're not Jesus. They're just the crowd. They're not Jesus. They're just the crowd. And so Jesus, in verses 32 and 33, stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. In Mark 10, 49 through 50, giving more detail to this story, uh, it's people that come up and, and tell him, hey, Jesus wants to talk to you. He says, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus, talking about Bartimaeus. And then, in a statement, again, so many of these stories end in these anticlimactic, like, that's your ending? Like, this seems like it needs a greater story. I mean, in the last verse, it says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Uh, the Bible.org, uh, which helps you define the Greek words behind these English translations, it, it describes this word compassion. It defines this word compassion as to feel the bowels yearn. I love knowing. I love knowing that, that there is a God in heaven, that there is a Jesus in heaven, that doesn't look down on my pain and my suffering and my struggle and my tragedy and think, well, that, that's too bad. But, but instead, there's a God in heaven that looks down when I'm hurting, when I'm sad, when things like the fire in Villebois break out and people are scared and struggling to sleep. He looks down and he feels something for us. This is the difference between running to your mom when you're hurt and going to the doctor, you know? And sometimes we can view God as just a doctor. Like, oh, he might be able to fix it, but he doesn't really care about it. But God deeply and intimately cares about you. He sees that you are struggling and you are hurting and that you are in pain and that you are suffering, and he feels for you. He feels for you. I hope that you believe that. And then Jesus, he touches their eyes out of this compassion for them. He touches their eyes, and they're immediately healed. And there's two things that are just so important. The first is, is like, think about Jesus caring about these people. If Jesus cares for these people, then I can guarantee Jesus cares for you. And, and the way that I know that is because these are the least these are the least people in society. Like, they're the least of these, as we would describe them. I, I just, I mean, I don't mean 
to be overly convicting or whatever, but think about how many times you roll uh, your car by somebody at a, uh, a off-ramp and, and they're begging for money. I would never say it like that when I'm talking to my homeless friends, but like uh, they're, they're asking for your money, they're panhandling, they're signing, and, and you just look away and you make sure your window's rolled up and you try not to make eye contact with them. That's what the crowd wants Jesus to do. We want, they want Jesus to be just like you and me. Like, hey, like, I'll just, I'm just going to pass right by. I won't think about them. Jesus has tons of followers. He doesn't need another follower. And Jesus hears their cries. He stops the procession, and he goes to them, and he has compassion on them. Man, in this series, we've talked about how Jesus doesn't always fix things, but he will always forgive things. We've talked about how Jesus will heal all eventually. It might be once we are dead and gone from this earth, but he will heal all eventually. And last week, we talked about how Jesus might not do a miracle if you believe he can, but he probably won't do a miracle if you believe he can't. But this morning, what we need to recognize that whether Jesus heals or not, When we encounter him, it will always lead to a positive and powerful change in our lives. A touch of Jesus in a spiritual sense will always lead to a positive and powerful change in our lives. I can tell you from my own firsthand experience the, the most of the positive growth in me as a person, most of, well, most of the good you see in me has, has really come out of a few moments of encountering Jesus. Now, I, I wake up. I, I try to pray every day. I try to read the Bible every day. I, I'm a part of church. I have people at this church who can speak truth into my life, who can tell me when I'm being an idiot, who can encourage me when I'm struggling, who are there for me when I'm hurting. I, I think that God moves in my heart when we gather here. There's a lot of things that kind of slowly move me forward in life. But it's the encounters with Jesus that have, that have helped me to leap forward in my love for others in, in my understanding of grace, in the hope that I have despite my circumstances, it's the encounters with Jesus. And I think that we, because of that, should all be desperate to encounter Jesus more. But we don't. Because we say, Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but I'm, I'm busy right now. Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but this other thing seems more fun than than spending lots of time in prayer. Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but I don't want to get out of bed early enough on Sunday mornings. Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but I'm going to stare at my cell phone all day long and, and, and never know if you actually did show up because I was too busy seeing who liked my latest photo. Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but if I do, I might be considered weird. Jesus, I'd love to encounter you, but everybody tells me that it's not going to happen, and so I'm going to give up. We're like those Boy Scouts, man. It's like, that'd be great to get that view at the top. I wonder how that would impact me. I wonder what that would be like. But I'm a little bit tired. It's a little too hard. So I'll just sit down right here and have my lunch. 
it's really easy. I mean, like, what I'd like to tell you is, hey, go home today, say a quick prayer. I guarantee Jesus will show up. You'll have a magnificent moment. You'll be crying. It'll be incredible. It'll be great. I don't know why. I wish I could tell you. Jesus doesn't work like that usually. That is not how Jesus has worked in my life. I saw this thing uh, when I was the youth pastor at this church. We would go away for a camp, right? And and people's lives would be changed. And for a long time, I thought, man, is this just some kind of emotional, you know, like, are we creating some type of emotion that, that is tricking kids into thinking that God is speaking to them and, and, and like, it's not real? But then it hit me one day. We're getting these kids away from all of the other things that stop them from seeking an encounter with God. And they're here looking for nothing else but an encounter with God. And he always showed up. He always showed up. Same thing happens like when people go and, and they go to some kind of conference or maybe you've been to a, uh, some kind of worship concert and, and, and you're just going looking for nothing else, nothing else. Jesus, I'm here tonight because I want to encounter you. And I'll bet that if you've done that even one or two times, then you've had an encounter with God. And what Satan does, I mean, what, what the devil, and we believe in the devil here, what he does is when you leave, you'll think, well, that was fake. I just felt emotional or whatever. But those encounters change lives because we've removed the distractions and we've said, look, I'm going to yell out in this crowd no matter how many things are trying to stop me from having this encounter. I believe that a lot of us are desperate for an encounter with Jesus because we want to see a miracle because we, we feel guilty for our sin, because we feel hopeless, because we're struggling, we're sick, whatever. But most of us will just sit down on the side of the mountain and never really see what could have been in store for us had we pressed on and pushed through uh, being tired and distracted and in pain or whatever. There's this thing that happens that... Um, that's so normal, but it doesn't always happen. They're healed, and then they follow him. I love that. They just get in the line. They just join the party. They just move towards Palm Sunday. They'll be chanting. I, I love thinking about this. I didn't know this before studying this week, but, like, they, I mean, they're going to be the ones chanting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus enters in Jerus into Jerusalem, if you know that story. We'll sing uh, next week. That's next week? Yeah, next week we will, we're going to sing all songs that are, just Hosanna. They're all called Hosanna, I think, every one of them. Uh, we always joke about it. We sing these songs once a year. It's like a set of five songs with four songs called Hosanna. And, and, and these guys were the first ones saying it because they were willing to go above and beyond the distractions and the obstacles to have an encounter with Jesus. And they're the ones that were chanting Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I love that. They followed him. I told you this story earlier. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, and, and the reality is that, that that alone is worth us following him, giving our lives to him for. Sin ruins everything. It taints everything. The reason that we have sickness and death and hurt and natural disaster and pain is because this thing called sin entered into the world, and Jesus came to pay for the punishment of those sins so that we someday might live in eternity with him in heaven and, frankly, back here on a renewed and 
restored earth that will no longer have that pain or hurt or mourning and the things that we so much dread. It's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to it. And man, if you've encountered Jesus, I, and, and some of us have, and then we encounter him and, and we question it, like I said, like, was that real? Was that? If you've ever encountered Jesus, you should consider, you should really think about following Jesus. There's one thing I can guarantee without having to read it in the Bible. These men who I'll meet in heaven someday, Bartimaeus and the other guy. Sorry, he's called the other guy, but Bartimaeus and the other guy. They would tell you that it was all worth it. And they would also tell you that while their blindness was taken away, that they got sick again, that they hurt again, that they lost loved ones and and saw death and eventually, by the way, died themselves. It didn't make everything perfect, but an encounter with Jesus changed them in such a way that they said it is absolutely worth it to follow this man because of how I've been impacted by his touch. In Luke 18, 43, another detail to this story, it says that they followed Jesus, praising God, and when all the people saw it, saw it they also praised God. God wants all people to come to him, but many won't. And the real question is, will you? Because many things are going to stand in your way from coming to God, whether that means becoming a Christian, because I know, man, I talk to people, and so many things are obstacles to becoming a Christian. We who are Christians, who have, have tasted and seen how great it is to be a Christian, we can make it sound so easy. Like, we can even lie about it. Like, if you become a Christian, everything's great. That's, like, well, maybe somebody else. My life hasn't always been great. My kids still need diaper changes, you know, and wake up in the middle of the night, literally every night. They still do that, right? And, and there's moments where I'm scared and I'm a worrier and, like, I don't always have perfect peace or perfect joy. It's not perfect and it's not easy. And I didn't even have the cultural pressures that some of you may face. I grew up in a, at least on one side of my family, a, a Christian home. Uh, on the other side of my family, my parents are divorced. It was, you know, respectful of Christianity in a lot of ways. And so nobody said, like, you're an idiot for doing that. But some people face that, right? In other countries, I talked about this last week, some people have to choose. Like, am I going to follow Jesus and maybe be arrested and, and beaten and killed? Or am I not going to follow Jesus? That's hard. There are a lot of obstacles, but I believe that following Jesus and seeking a greater and deeper encounter with him is always worth it. And so please, what I'm asking for you today, what I want for you today is that you would not let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. If you're already a Christian man and you want to see a miracle, you want to see God work, you want to see God lead your friends and family to Jesus, you want to invite people to Easter and have them show up, it's so easy just to quit, to pray once, to stop, to say, well, it didn't work out. I didn't see God move. I didn't get what I asked for. Don't let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. Your time, your energy, your family, your friends, all of it is, is hard, right? Like there's not enough time in the day and we're always tired and we're always busy. Don't let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. Don't let anything stop you from encountering Jesus. Let me pray that you won't. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these men. I thank you for Bartimaeus and his buddy, God, that, that they just... They weren't going to let it go. They weren't going to let you go. <laughs> Lord, I'm reminded just now as I pray uh, that 
that you even taught, Lord, while you were on earth, that, Lord, our prayers and your response to them is sometimes connected to our consistency in praying those things and our audacity in approaching you, God. And so much of us in our prayer lives, just our prayer lives, we are, we are not audacious and we are not consistent. We pray things once and then say, well, he must have said no. And man, I think so often, God, we are just stopping short of reaching the top of the mountain. God, I pray that you would change that in us and that we would be people who would not let any obstacle stand in the way of us encountering you. And Lord, I know that you are sovereign, that you do what you want, God, and that sometimes you will encounter us in really unique and powerful ways, and other times you'll encounter us in ways that maybe we don't even notice. But man, God, please forbid in the most literal way that we would be people who prevent us from encountering our, you ourselves. Like, don't let it be on us that we didn't see you move, God. Don't let us be a church that, that you're looking down on going, hey, I'd love to move in a stronger and more powerful way there, but you quit all the time. But I want these people in front of me to not be quitters, but to be people who just keep coming and saying, Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I want the people in front of me to give their lives to you, God, even though everybody said, don't do it, that's stupid, you don't need that, you can't really believe that stuff. Let them just, just come to you. Breaking down every obstacle, walking up the hill, God, even when it's hard. Lord, I thank you that the difference between that illustration of walking up the mountain and, and what you do for us is that you've come to us, Lord. You care about us. You want to have a relationship with us. You're not trying to make it difficult, even though it sometimes is, God. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us how much you care, how much compassion you have, how much mercy you're willing and able to bestow upon us, Lord. Lord, let this be a church. Let this be a people that encounters you often. Don't let anything stop us, God, from coming to you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.